building your business was hard. Getting out of it on your terms can be even harder. Welcome to the Tobin Leff M&A Podcast, where you can rewrite the next chapter of your life with the help of business owners who have been in your shoes. In the past decade, Tobin Leff has completed over 125 successful merger and acquisition and exit planning engagements across the U.S. with a focus on marketing, advertising, PR, and digital firms. Go online to TobinLeff.com to learn about the latest in business so that you can build and monetize your company value. Join us now for today's conversation. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Tobin Left podcast on regaining and enriching value. I'm Scott Leff. I will be serving as the moderator today, and I'm joined by my eponymous partner, David Tobin, and our no longer anonymous partner, Roy Page. And that's the end of the wordplay because David will run out of patience with me otherwise. <laughs> David and Roy, why don't you say hello? Hello and welcome. Hello, it's good to be here. Look forward to spending some time together. Thanks. We we are we're looking forward to a good conversation for everyone. We are all living in very challenging times right now, as we well know, and we thought it might be interesting to give you a chance to hear a little about what we're seeing and hearing in the marketplace generally for agencies, especially as it relates to agency value and exit planning and M&A today. So without further ado, let's jump right into the question that's certainly on the minds of anyone who has been thinking about an exit prior to when the pandemic started. And let me turn to you, David. What, what does the market look like right now for selling agencies? Are there buyers? Are there sellers? Is there money available to do, de- to do deals? What do we know? Well, when we were brainstorming the theme, the topic of this podcast, you came up with an interesting play on words. You cited Bill Goldman, the screenwriter who wrote Butch Cassidy and All the President's Men. You cited his line where he said, the one role that drives the biggest decisions in the movie business is simply this, nobody knows anything. And I think that saying, that recommendation so holds true as it relates to M&A activity right now. Nobody knows, of course, how long this pandemic will last, which has paralyzed buyers and sellers. Certainly sellers are concerned about trying to go to the marketplace now because of their perception on how depressed, how decreased their agency values or their company values will be. Buyers are trying to assess their capital resources and they're spending money on their existing portfolio and operating companies. So as we can all expect and suspect, M&A transactions for the most part are either on hold or have been paused to at least see how long this plays out. That makes good sense. What you're saying, David, certainly fits intuitively with what my thinking would be as well in terms of the marketplace. Do you have a feel for how it relates to values? Are agencies still being valued the same way they were? 
Are different multiples being applied? Are different deal structures cropping up? What are you seeing out there? We, like so many advisors, are trying to assess that between conversations with our clients, prospective buyers and private equity groups. Certainly everyone suspects that coming out on the back end, whenever that may be, values are going to be lower. I read an interesting survey summary today from one of our platform partners. They went out to a number of private equity groups and investment bankers. They actually had over 300 different firms reply. So this was a large enough survey and they asked the question, how do you expect valuations to adjust from the current economic shock? 55% of the replies estimated valuations will be down between 10% and 25%. Only 7% expected valuations to be relatively stable pre-pandemic and and that's just it just makes good business sense that's what so many of us are feeling and sensing that supply and demand is going to change on the back end well this event no surprises there i think that's probably what we'd all expect but what about the baseline so you and roy and i are talking today about regaining value what does regaining mean? How do owners get kind of a back of the envelope idea of what their value might have been before this all started? Those owners who have gone through M&A transactions in the past, or they've been considering, certainly you would have an appreciation that in many situations, most situations, Enterprise or equity value will be based on some multiple of earnings, whether it's a multiple of EBITDA, net income, or net after-tax cash flow and assigning a cap rate to that. We encourage you to form a baseline. Go back to 2017, 18, and 19 and get your adjusted EBITDA. It's easy to calculate that, your CPA could help, we're happy to help, but get that baseline. Granted, the multiples may change because of the economic and world events, but let's get a good baseline of where your adjusted EBITDA was before this event. And EBITDA, when you cut through everything, it's the measure of freed up cash flow after fair market salaries to the principals. So we're encouraging our clients, let's know what that baseline is. And then we can work to say, what can you do to regain your value? And when when we do those kinds of calculations for clients, we tend to kind of dig deeply into the financials and make a lot of adjustments and normalize things. Do you think it would be safe to say for these purposes that for our audience, they don't need to worry about being that precise or detailed, just trying to get a good approximation is good enough and they don't need to worry about fine level accounting. I I, I agree, Scott. It certainly would be helpful, though, when I know, Roy, you're going to be touching on the importance of KPIs, key performance indicators. 
We believe for most situations, tracking adjusted EBITDA is an important number. So as long as you're consistent, it doesn't have to be so precise unless somebody's thinking about a transaction in the short term. But it would be good. We'd encourage all of the listeners learn about adjusted EBITDA. We have a white paper. You could find it on our site, tobinleft.com, specifically on valuations. And certainly we're help, happy to help if anybody calls or emails us. We could show sample EBITDA calculations. That's great. So before I kick it over to Roy to start talking about those KPIs, maybe to set it up, uh, one last question for the time being for you, David, might be to talk on a high level about the whole concept of value drivers and assessing and using value drivers to regain and enrich value. When buyers, experienced buyers, sophisticated buyers, in most situations, they're going to do their analysis, come up with the measure of cash flow, whether it's a simple average or a weighted average, and then they're going to apply a multiple. Value drivers, the variables that can impact you, your strengths, your weaknesses, will influence the multiple. What's happening with the economic shock right now, most companies are going to come out of this and their earnings are going to be down. The net income is going to be down. It's going to be what it is. So we know every owner every day thinks about how can they increase their net income. You can also go to work on the multiple. So even if your earnings are depressed, if pre-economic events, you may have been able to command a multiple of four times or five times, what can you do to enhance that multiple? And before the pandemic, when we would have discussions with clients or do assessments, so at Tobin Left, we came up with a proprietary tool to assess value drivers. We identified 63 variables under 11 categories. Before COVID-19, Typically, the more common value drivers that there would be discussions around, we would try to assist with. Examples would have been profit margins, average annual growth, client concentration risk. Of course, everybody knows the importance of recurring revenue or how dependent the company is on the founders or selling shareholders. Those would be normal value drivers. What we believe now from discussions over the last couple of weeks with clients and our internal brainstorming, the focus on value drive, different value drivers post-pandemic, some of the ones that we feel will be more at the top of the list, crystallizing your vision and value proposition, making sure your business models and financial models line up to accomplish whatever is important to your goal, whether it's certain profit margins or growth percentages. What can you do to energize and motivate your team members? We believe there's going to be more energy put into incentive plans to reward and retain key people, whether it's phantom stock plans or equity-based plans, making sure you are flexible to meet market conditions and can demonstrate sustainability. Mm -hmm. 
One last one just to touch on treating your own agency as your most important client. You're going to be able to need to demonstrate that you can recoup, recover your top line. So those are just examples. And Scott, if I may, I would, you know, try to point people back to our website. We've got a couple white papers specifically on value drivers. They're complimentary. And of course, if anybody wants to email one of the partners of our group, we're happy to share the full model with them. Thank you. That That's a great overview. And if I could just sort of reinforce one of the, the notions you raised, because I think it's so critical right now when you talk about plans to incentivize keep em, key employees is to keep in mind we're in an environment right now where there are always going to be some outliers who are especially strong. And what that can mean for most of us is that our best people are going to be in their sights. This may be viewed by some of the stronger players as a great opportunity to poach top talent. So you want to be keeping that in mind and thinking about who is my top talent and do I have programs in place to keep them with me? Um, but as David mentioned, there are 63 variables on our value drivers assessment tool and 63 variables is an awful lot to keep in mind too much, frankly. So Roy, you're our guy who works most extensively in the field doing really um, hands-on operational kind of consulting. How do you think owners should approach this wide array of value drivers to help prioritize and focus what they're doing? Sure. Hey, I finally get to share. I was wondering if Tobin was going to actually let me in on this. So I'm, I'm glad I get to address that. But that's hard for me to do, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. Um, it, it can seem a bit overwhelming, you know, when you when you hear what David's saying in a podcast format, you know, like this. But one thing to to sort of key in on is David mentioned um, 11 categories. So while there may be 63 value drivers, they tend to fit in a category. And what I'm finding in practice and in working with clients is we can really break these down into about five specific categories that will drive value. And that's financial performance, obviously, which most of us are always, you know, we're reminded of that every month. But there's also the people and culture piece, which speaks to the retention and you know, can we maintain relationships with key employees through this particular period of time through incentive plans and culture enhancement, whatever that looks like? David talked about uh, crystallizing your vision. And in some respects, we may have to recast our vision a little bit at a time like this. And then there's the one all agencies talk about, and that's the marketing and business development. Uh, it's the one that's the most frustrating, but it's the one that oftentimes can bear the most fruit. And then if we do all those things well, then hopefully we're, we're building a sustainable enterprise. So let me take that just a step further. <clears throat> and where possible today, I'd like to try and use, you know, actual applied examples and experiences in working with clients. So a couple of weeks ago, or about a week and a half ago, uh, we actually had one of our uh, 
value builder blueprint sessions, which is our strategy session that that we undertake with clients. And what I like to do is I like to send our value uh, driver assessment to the CEO uh, or the principal or the owner, and then to his or her leadership team and have them complete that assessment separately. And what I often find, and this was a classic case, is that principals typically are much harder on themselves when looking at their value driver assessment. So in this particular case, I had a principal who out of the 63 actually thought that the company was weak in 19 areas, whereas others on the leadership team only uncovered 11 or 12. And that's not uncommon. I know when I was a principal, I was much harder on the agency than the rest of the leadership team. But the beauty is, even though 19 sounds like a lot, 10 to 12 sounds much better. If we can focus in, let's say, for example, on three to five key initiatives where we can have impact in the short term while maintaining our focus on the long term, and we'll take business development, for example. If we can develop a strong business outreach and cultivation plan for our agency and gain success with that, and the example I'm talking about with this client, of the 19 weaknesses that he presented, we would have addressed the 11 that his leadership team thought was weak with just that one key winning move or core initiative built around that. So, you know, the key is, is to focus in the areas that we can control and focus in the areas where we can have the best impact in the short term. So I'll, hopefully that sort of helps simplify and, and, and makes it a little bit easier to understand um, all of the variables that go into assessing value. I like your three to five number a lot, Roy. Uh, Peter Drucker, the father of man modern management theory, in talking about strategic planning when he was developing that whole concept, advocated very strongly that no organization of any kind should ever be working on more than five major goals at a time, that having more than five goals is having no goals. It's just right. unmanageable. So that, that focus is really great. Sure. And, you know, we don't want to downplay the stress that that principals and leadership teams and staff are under right now. Um, so we're all thinking about a lot of things and we're thinking about a lot of scenarios. But but even in this period of time, I think we all know that focus in critical areas where we can have the most impact in the short term without losing sight of the long term we'll all be able to navigate that better, both as a CEO or principal and as the leader of a leadership team and as it cascades down through the organization from there. So I, I think it's real important. It's just a matter of spending the time to surface what those, those three to five areas of focus should be. Okay, thank you. Um, another thing that Drucker said, which has long been one of my favorite principles is he would work with CEOs and ask them this question. What are you doing now that if you weren't already doing it, you wouldn't start? So let me repeat that because 
It's, it's complicated syntax, but it's a profound question. What are you doing now that if you weren't already doing it, you wouldn't start? And then the follow-up question, of course, is what are you going to do about it? Options mm -hmm. being do it better, stop doing it, whatever the right response might be. Right, and right. David, I know you've thought about that some relative to our clients. Do you have any observations on that? I do. There's been so much discussion, webinars going on right now about right-sizing or downsizing, and this is an opportunity to recast or restart. And we don't know, you can't just make a general statement that you should cut expenses or cut salaries. All of our clients, every business owner now is trying to determine, you know, what's the best way to come through this. But this is an opportunity to playing off of the word focus, to set your margins properly. And it doesn't just mean cutting. It, it means where to direct your energy. And it it's a time to mobilize and energize your staff around a, hopefully a shared vision and specific goals. And if I may. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Roy. I was going to say, if I may, Scott, I'd like to piggyback on, on what David's saying there as well. You know, and we all see this, and particularly um, before our, our current environment, environment and, and COVID nineteen, you know, agencies we're very creative people, and when we love the thought of of creating and building things and building new things, and sometimes out of our shops, beyond just the core of what we do, are these wonderful ideas for innovation. Packaging, it's it's software, it's it's R and D basically, which obviously is an investment on on our part. And this, while there still may be great opportunity, and we should always be innovative, you know, at this particular point in time, what I'm seeing from owners and principals, it's a mixed bag. Some are fighting to survive. Uh, some are going to be satisfied with with a break even. This year, even they're already projecting that far out. And then there are others that believe that they can grow in this environment based on their positioning. I think from from what I'm seeing, it's, you know, there are a certain number of fundamental KPIs that really drive our business. You know, that's the gross revenue or AGI to full time employee ratio. And if we know where our break even is, we know that if we're above that. We're, we're tracking well, so we can determine what that number is, and we can measure and monitor that on an ongoing basis. Our largest expense, typically for most agencies, of course, is salary to AGI, and what is that percentage, and, and what's the minimum that we're willing to accept? Is it is it 45, 50, 55 percent? Anything north of that it becomes harder to, to to make the margin. And then the other aspect is obviously cash reserves are important now. So does an agency have two or three months cash reserve? Fortunately, in this environment, it, it looks like there's opportunity and there's there's capital that can be accessed through the various lending programs, which, of course, would be a source of another uh, webinar. But 
if we focus on those few things, we should be able to get a snapshot as to how we're performing. And if we support that <clears throat> with monitoring our receivables and more importantly of those receivables, are, are we collecting in a reasonable amount of time? Because there's certainly risks that our clients are going to slow payment and we're hearing and seeing those things. But if an agency CEO and CFO can focus in these areas, these are, these are great benchmarks. So, I guess my point being is, is stay focused on those fundamentals. And before you start doing something new, make sure there's a market for it and that the company, you know, can invest or make that emotional or financial capital into that new initiative. Great. Thank you. So we, we've been talking for a while about operational things and strategic activities and regaining and enriching value, but much of it is, for many of us, built around the ultimate topic of a future exit. And one of the things that you and I, David, have always been determined to maintain in Tobin Left is that we are not just a transactional firm. We're not the guys who come in only to say, all right, you want to sell then we'll sell you. But rather, we we work with owners to help them find whatever the right exit path is that's going to work for them. So for owners who are thinking about exits and maybe are concerned about the market to sell the company or for other reasons, aren't currently inclined to sell the company, but are wondering how they'll get out, what are some other options that might be in front of them? Or a good question, of course, to pose. For agency owners that, for their own personal reasons, want a change, they want to look to monetize over the next six to 18 months, if the route of selling to an independent company or agency may not be the right fit because of values or terms, some of the other Potential pathways, exit pathways, may include looking to a management buyout plan with existing employees or using this as an opportunity to also recruit additional members of the successor management team. It's more of a long-range transition plan, but a management buyout plan, we have some clients comparing that pathway to selling to a third party. We have others who have looked to move their operation and become an in-house marketing department for a client or an industry type mm -hmm. or a buyer that's in a completely different industry that wants an in-house marketing department. Another strategy that's been employed even before the current economic conditions was to institute incentives for key employees to run the business, including equity-based incentives, make it a lifestyle decision. Back away, retain ownership control for a longer period of time to balance lifestyle with work commitments. Then also what's happening now, and we're going to see more of it, there are going to be roll-ups happening. We're working on one right now, and we just proposed a second one two days ago. And that being, there are Certainly buyers that have capital, they're looking to this to do roll-ups. 
if you're in that situation where you may not be able to command the dollars or the terms that you hoped for on the front end, it may be that you can take some quote chips off the table now, but be tied to the success of a larger organization. One last point I just wanna mention, Scott, it would be, we would encourage those owners who are thinking about monetizing, but they may not be able to command the dollars on the front end, to really learn as much as they can about earnout formulas. We have a complimentary white paper specifically on that topic. I would encourage people to consider reading. So those are just examples of a few other pathways compared to only considering selling to a third party. Let, let me, David, one I'm more sorry. if I may. David, you didn't sure. mention ESOPs. Is there some guidance you can give as to what type or size firm might be able to look at a ESOP as a potential uh, route. ESOPs sound attractive when you hear employee stock ownership plan. It sounds great. The realities are, unless your company has strong margins and really positive cash flow to support the debt, ESOPs do not bring in new equity money. It's primarily a debt toll, and there's some strong tax advantages. For clients who are of a certain size, you know, i.e. earnings north of $500,000 consistently, it might be an option to consider, but it's there's complexities, there's expenses. And that, that also segues, Scott, to I know we have an upcoming podcast where we want to talk about exit planning. That is a scenario that owners should consider, but compare the pros, cons, and economics to other pathways as well. And Roy, you were wanting to add something? I was dying to jump in there and interrupt, and I apologize, guys. <laughs> not, not a very courteous teammate, but <clears throat> I wanted to piggyback again a little bit on, um, on what David was talking about in terms of options. Because, as you know, we employ different strategies based on the client we serve and based on the client that um, that we're taking to market. And so recently we had a, a client that's highly specialized, highly niched, and our initial outreach to, was to stay close, to try and cultivate interest from within the industry. And because of what that industry is and because of the current environment, there has been that major pause in that industry. So we decided to go ahead and move forth with our second strategy to prospective buyers that aren't necessarily with inside the space, but that we felt would um, would make for a good fit or a good opportunity, and this would be a great strategic acquisition for them. And that's happened just this week. And I've been pleasantly surprised at the response that we're getting. And I have to commend those that are responding, the, the CEOs and the prospective buyers that are acknowledging I'm really happy to receive this. Not sure, given the current market conditions, just how uh, we'll be able to approach this or if it's realistic in the short term. But it's an opportunity that we feel we need to at least begin to explore and, and continue to become aware of. I find that very encouraging, even though it's buffered a little bit and not every uh, response 
from the marketplace is, is buffered that way, but it is a reality that we need to acknowledge. So for this particular um, agency owner that we're representing, at this particular point, we don't feel that we need to really pull back or or, or pause. His exit, exit strategy can remain in place because of the positioning his firm uh, occupies and the specialization uh, that he's built his agency within. So opportunity, at least from what I'm seeing, still remains. Sure, there might need to be some alterations. Sure, there might need to be some areas revisited uh, in the current environment. But but I don't believe um, all is, is, is lost. So there's still plenty of opportunity and potential for the right strategic sellers and buyers. Great. Thank you. So we've covered a lot of territory. We, you need to be looking at financials. You need to figure out what your value was. There are 63 variable value drivers in 11 categories that now I have to get down to three to five to work on. I've got umpteen different exit routes I could take. So how do I sort through all of this? I think what it really comes down to for many folks right now is having a good exit plan. If you've had an exit plan already, go back to it and consider if you need to revise it in terms of the present day conditions. And if not, it might be time to go through the process and put an exit plan in place because it it gives you clarity and peace of mind, and it's a lot easier to hit a target when you know what the target is. All of which, in my mind, kind of goes back to something you were talking about before, Roy, which is the stress that everyone is under today. So while we've been talking about finances and monetization and operations, there is a very human side to this. You do a lot of coaching. I've been an executive coach and gone through a university training in executive coaching. And what we know is it's lonely at the top and hard to find someone to talk to. Uh, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about emotional support for owners right sure. now? Sure. It's a great question, Scott. And you, you can just tell and we can tell, you know, based on the webinars, um, podcast things that we're exposed to the participation levels have been very high which which tells me that principals really are looking for answers and they're looking for how the industry how they can apply their specific challenges to what they're learning from other industry peers and the fact of the matter is we're all going to process and navigate this stress based on our individual coping skills and and based on our ability to lead our organizations. Um, you know, for me, while I was practicing as a principal for well over two decades, I found great value in the smaller one-to-one -one peer sharing. Um, and those opportunities exist. So I would encourage, and most principals have a network. And if you're part of a larger network, uh, such as TAN or the 4As and, and, and a number of others, Surely you have two or three solid relationships within those. And now is a wonderful time uh, to, to reach out and, and, and create those peer sharing opportunities. It's happening anyway, and it's, it's very embraced because 
I think one thing that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, and I think one thing that's going to be very important going forward for leaders is how do we lead now virtually when we're not in the same space? When our, our mannerisms and our tone and our coaching as leaders that's often present in, in the office is not there anymore. So it does present a, a significant amount of you know challenge from that standpoint, but we'll get through it. It's a matter of right now everyone's absorbing and participating in a number of things. And I, I think we'll see it settle out and settle down into smaller, more intimate, intimate relationships that um, that have deeper meaning where we can we can share a little bit easier and better versus just listen and process information. Sounds like good advice. That's whether it's a peer, a mentor, a coach, find somebody you can talk to and that becomes an outlet and a sounding board. Absolutely. David, any final thoughts before we wrap up? You mentioned relationships. It's now's the time to strengthen relationships with the people that count the most and certainly your families and inside your business world, your team comes first, in my opinion, then clients and knowing your purpose, having your focus and your vision and rallying your team. It's going to get us all through this. So we certainly wish everyone well, safety and happiness through this time. Thank you everyone for listening. As David mentioned, a lot of materials are available under the resources tab on our website, tobinleft.com, white papers and articles about many of the topics we've touched on here. Certainly feel free to give any of us a call or email us at any time. Each of us, David, Roy, and I, our email address is our first initial and last name at tobinleft.com. We wish you safety and health and Look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Tobin Leff M&A podcast, produced by Hannah Vaughn with music by Holt Vaughn. Visit our website at tobinleff.com for case studies, additional resources, and to get in touch with our experts. Subscribe today and never miss an episode.